Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. As promised, there is a brand new release in the Christian Heritage series, George Herbert's The Temple, with a fantastic foreword from John Piper. Although he was a pastor of a small, remote church in Elizabethan England, George Herbert came to fame because of a small collection of poems called The Temple. In this short but beautiful collection of poetry, Herbert devised 116 new poetic forms to capture his experience of awe, sorrow, glory, turmoil, repentance, and heart-rending joy. All of it dedicated to God, not man. In this book, we have a picture of the full range of human experience and emotion, felt by a man being sanctified by God and describing it with all his poetic powers. Get George Herbert's The Temple with a foreword from John Piper today at canonpress.com. So welcome to the podcast. This is the podcast, not any old podcast. This is the podcast. This is episode 132. It's good to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Uh, so this is uh, political season. The last two podcasts I've uh, been talking about politics, and I want to continue to talk about politics. Well, I want to talk about something that's looming in the background of our politics. I want to talk a little bit about um uh, Donald Trump. I, I don't want to talk about supporting him or voting for him or not. Or uh, I, I want to talk about how Christians can uh, pray for him and not pray for him as the president, but how uh, Christians can pray for him as a man. So here's the setup. Donald Trump, in, in his uh, speaking style, in his manner of talking, in his manner of governing, all of that, is not a humble man. He, um, he is, uh, he's proud, he's arrogant, he doesn't mind taking credit for everything. You know, this, what we did is just the absolute best. This is the best. Now, some of this is because he's a showman. Some of it is because he's a salesman, etc. But one of the things that thinking Christians should be braced for is uh, Trump's uh, Nebuchadnezzar moment, I think, as uh, one of my son's, sons-in-law put it. Uh, this is the thing. When Nebuchadnezzar uh, looked down on the city and said, is this not great Babylon that I have built? The Christian recoils from that sentiment because we know the, we know the rest of the story. We know that God struck him with madness and he I lived a bovine existence for the next uh, seven years, and then his sanity returned to him. He acknowledged God in heaven. He humbled himself, and he was restored to rule. If if you were there and you wanted to intervene and stop Nebuchadnezzar as he was about to say the fatal words, you don't ha- you don't have to point down at Babylon and say it's actually a ramshackle mess or it's actually terrible. Uh, In other words, when Nebuchadnezzar was pointing to his achievements, uh, his achievements 
probably were really, really impressive. So um, we would look at them and go, whoa, man, that was, look at that, look at that, look at that. But God struck him not because he was lying about Babylon. It's not like um, Babylon was this little shanty town and Nebuchadnezzar got up on a hill and looked down at the shanty town and told lies about it. Uh, God did not strike him for telling lies about a pathetic excuse of a city. What God struck him for was being proud of and not giving glory to the God of heaven for what had happened. And this is, the, um, I think, the perennial danger that someone with Trump's disposition and mentality and outlook is running. Let's say he continues his uh, career as one might describe it as the luckiest politician ever. He has said and tweeted and done things that, that would have killed 100 ordinary politicians would have just undone them. And he just sails right through them and continues to do it. And everybody tells him, you can't do that. And he says, I'm going to, and it just continues to do it. And a number of um, impressive results thus far have come in. So let's say, let's say the Dow breaks 30,000. And let's, let's say that um, the economy continues to boom. And let's say there isn't a big recession. And let's say that um, judges start handing down sensible opinions. And then at the end of it, if Trump says, is this not great Babylon I have built, we don't have to argue with those accomplishments to be praying for him as a man and urging God to have mercy on him so that he doesn't get there. Basically, Donald Trump needs to be brought to a point of humility. And it doesn't matter if you, a Christian, like how he's exasperating the liberals. Um, the biblical standard is not make sure, whatever you do, make sure you own the liberals. The biblical standard is to be humble before your God. And, and Trump acknowledges God, but he's not humble before him. And he, he wants uh, God to have a place in our public discourse, but that place must be the supreme place. God dwells in a high and, high and holy place, and he also dwells with the one who is lowly in heart, as uh, Isaiah puts it. So I would make a distinction that Christians ought to make for their prayer life, be praying for the president, be praying for um, the judges he appoints, be praying for the Supreme Court justice battles that are, that are sure to uh, be before us, Pray for all of those things. Pray for him as the president, as the office holder. Pray that good policies would be enacted, that good judges would be appointed. Pray for all those things. Pray for Trump as president. But also make sure that you pray for him as a man. He needs to be brought low. And he needs to be brought low before the God of heaven. And as a mercy to us, we don't want his, what God does to bring him low, to be a political disaster for the nation. God can bring him low uh, without breaking anything else. Always will be Podcast 132, we continue on our merry way. Martiology is the study of, we're, we're looking at all the different sins um, that are listed by name in the Greek New Testament, whether 
uh, nouns or verbs or adjectives or adverbs even. Um, the word asunetas, asunetas, refers to someone who is foolish or without understanding. It refers to a particular kind of culpable ignorance, an ignorance that could have been otherwise and yet remains right where it is. In other words, there's the ignorance of a three-week-old baby. Uh, the baby doesn't know calculus. The baby doesn't know all sorts of things. But that's not a problem because the baby's not supposed to know those things. So a baby is ignorant, but a baby is not culpably ignorant. There are people who don't know things, who are very foolish. They don't know things, things that they ought to know. The two places where Jesus uses the word are where he is rebuking the disciples for not understanding that food cannot defile a man spiritually. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Matthew fifteen sixteen, And then in the account in Mark, And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? That's Mark 7, 18. So, are ye without understanding? That's a, a sunitas, a sunitas. Are ye without understanding? The use that Paul makes of the word in Romans 1 appears to be a bit more harsh. Um, in other words, Jesus is saying, are you without understanding? And it seems to be roughly parallel to uh, our English phrase, without understanding. Um, the earlier use, the, the use in Matthew and Mark, appears to be something like clueless. While this, is, while this lack of understanding appears to have a mean streak, this is in Romans one thirty one, without understanding, there it is right at the beginning, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. So this lack of understanding uh, seems to be a, a little bit meaner. There are two places in Romans where the word is rendered as foolish. In the first instance, it's just 10 verses before the one we just considered in Romans 131. In verse 21, it says this, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. There it is, their foolish heart was darkened. So, in 131, it says, without, it translates this word as without understanding, and 10 verses earlier, it translates it as foolish. And then in the last use, Paul is predicting that God will use the foolish Gentiles to humiliate the Jews. But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation, I will anger you. So that's Romans 10, 19. And the foolish nation is in this usage, it's talking about uh, the Gentile nations who used to not know God, and now they've been brought to God, and that will humiliate the Jews and provoke them uh, to jealousy. In other words, the foolish nation that provokes the Jews this way is basically a nation that was formerly foolish. So, for our book review section... Um, uh, today, on Plodcast 132, I'd like to commend the book Preaching as Reminding, Preaching as Reminding, uh, by a fellow named Arthurs. I love to collect books on preaching and read books on preaching, 
Uh, and it's sort of like um, I also have a section of books on wordsmithing. Uh, books I collect books for writers, th- things that writers want to know. I and I love working through those. And I also love collecting books on preaching and reading through those on on homiletics. But I particularly like uh, the occasional book on preaching that is uh, more than simply uh, instruction in the mechanics of preaching. Um, I read uh, I read a book a number of years ago called The Preacher as or the pastor, I forget, the preacher or the pastor as minor poet. Uh, that Now, that's an offbeat title, right? <laughs> the preacher is minor poet. This book is like, uh, like that one, Preaching as Reminding by, uh, by Arthur's. So um, he sees the preaching task, and I think rightly, and he, he uh, gathers together a, a forest of uh, Bible verses that address this. Uh, preachers are God's remembrancers. Preachers are God's remembrancers. And um, we, we want to be uh, careful that we don't fall into a sort of a semi-Pelagian uh, trap here. And the trap is, and you see it with kids, when um, I thought I told you to clean your room, young man, uh, but mom, I forgot. In other words, we use forgetfulness as an excuse for our sin, when in Scripture, forgetfulness is an additional sin. So. Uh, you know, let's say mom said, I'm, I'm going to have to spank you for not for disobeying me. But mom, I forgot. Uh, well, okay, thank you for confessing this additional sin. Uh, that'll be extra swats. <laughs> Nobody thinks that way about it. We, th- we think that, um, that we, can, uh, we can exculpate ourselves by claiming forgetfulness. But all the way through the, the scriptures, the command is to remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We are to remember the covenant. We are to remember God, and and we as we remember God, we we are uh, looking for God to remember us. Remembering is uh, another way of talking about covenant loyalty or covenant faithfulness. So um, this book just works through what it is for preachers to remind the people. Uh, remind the people of God's salvation, remind the people of God's deliverances, remind the people of all that God has done, remind the people of the promises he's made. And, and of course, in, in our worship service, we have the Lord's Supper every uh, week at the, uh, uh, at the conclusion of the service, and that uh, supper is a memorial. It's a reminder. It's a remembrancing. And um, and this is something that God wants us to consistently, regularly, constantly do. So, uh, if you're a preacher, if you're a pastor, or if you want to be a preacher down the road, I, I commend this book to you, Preaching is Reminding. It is a very good book.